Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. Amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us here at Hope Hickory. In case we haven't met yet, my name is Kenny. I'm the pastor here. And we've been walking through this series together entitled All Access. If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue this series. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. And we entitled this series All Access because Paul, whenever he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, he clarifies that we have access because of Jesus. He says, because of Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. That means because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, all of the penalty of sin that caused the separation between God and man has now been paid for. So now that anyone who comes into a relationship with Jesus can come before Father God as his child. And as we pointed out the week before last, every single time you pray, that language tells you that you have been granted an audience with the King of the universe. And if you were here last week, I actually wasn't here last week. It was very weird for me not to be here in Hickory on a Sunday. Uh, I told our folks at Shelby at our sending church, it felt like I left my kid with Jeremy uh, for the day, and that was very, very scary. <laughs> but uh, if you were here, Pastor Jeremy came, one of my former lead pastors from our sending church. He was here, and uh, he was breaking down the first part of the Lord's Prayer for us. And in doing so, he gave us so many great truths, like how prayer is the most important thing we could ever do in our spiritual lives. He, taught, he said that we have to be taught how to pray like the disciples asked of Jesus. And we should take prayer very, very seriously as we acknowledge God as our holy father whose divine will comes above all else. And I love how Jeremy pointed out that if even Jesus in John 17, we see Jesus submitting to the will of the father. How much more so should we submit to the will of the father? And prayer is the means by which we access God's ultimate will and presence in our lives. So those first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, we praise him, we glorify him, we humble ourselves before God. And this helps us pray with perspective. So we know exactly who we're praying to because we're not just talking to one of our friends or one of our buddies. We are talking to almighty creator of the universe who knows what we don't know and who can see what we can't see. And whenever we pray with that kind of perspective, acknowledging his greatness and his majesty and his holiness, it helps us pray with more faith. And now in the next section of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches how we should ask of God what we need to ask of God in our everyday lives. So the flow of this, our prayer should start with God, then make their way to us, and then make their way back to God again as We'll see. And I believe in the rest of this Lord's Prayer, I believe Jesus is teaching us to pray for two primary things. That's dependence and deliverance. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Jesus taught us to pray. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You know, back on Mother's Day, I said this and I truly believe 
that there are few things that are more powerful in this world and more dangerous to the enemies of hell than the prayers of a godly mother. Now, I've been so blessed to be able to say that I have a godly mother. She's not perfect. She has her flaws. She has her shortcomings. But one thing I will never question is that God listens to that woman's prayers. And mom would pray about absolutely anything, not just the big stuff. You know, we could be driving around the mall looking for a parking spot, and she'd be like, Lord, help us get a spot today. Right? I remember one time specifically, I think we were at our house in Virginia at the time, when dad was stationed at Fort Lee. And... Um, we, we had to go somewhere, and we couldn't find the car keys. So me and my brother were tearing the house apart, looking for these keys. We couldn't find them anywhere. And mom just over there just praying that the Lord would help us find the keys. And I'd be like, and in my faithless mind, in my young faithless mind, I'm thinking, okay, mom, it's nice that you're praying and all, but can you help us find the keys? Do something productive here. And then whenever we found the keys, her first response wasn't to say good job to whoever found the keys. Her first response was, ah, thank you, Lord. You provided again. Now, that's something I will forever appreciate about my mama because she's always understood the power and the importance of daily bread prayers. Because whenever Paul says to pray without ceasing, or whenever he says in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request be known to God, whenever I think about what it's like to pray without ceasing or to pray in everything, I think about my mom. And she would pray with such certainty and such expectation that God was going to help and that God was going to answer. And it's like she would get so flustered and almost annoyed with God if he didn't answer the way that she wanted him to. Just the other week, uh, mom was up here for uh, Fletcher's birthday and she ended up staying for our Sunday service. And that morning was a train wreck. You know, not the service itself, but everything leading up to the service. Uh, I, my, one of my main goals here on Sunday morning is to try to beat Jordan here to church. But some, Jordan always beats me. I keep pulling at 6.45 in the morning. He's still been waiting on me for 30 minutes. So like, it's my goal. I get up in the morning. I'm like, all right, I'm going to beat Jordan today. And so I'm going to go out of the house. But then I realized I had a, that morning had an ant infestation in my kitchen from the party the day before. So I had to deal with that. So I was a little bit late getting here. And then when me and Jordan came in here, uh, every single table and chair that this facility has ever owned in its entire history was set up in this room. And we just look at all this laid out. And I'm like, like, you want to start on this or you want to uh, wait and, on Matt and Jaleesa and them get here and make them help us? And then he said, well, let's wait on them. So we're going to go out and unload the trailer while we're waiting on them to get here. And we go out there and two of the tires are slashed on the trailer. The whole trailer's leaning this way. And so we have to like let the air out of the tires on the other side just to get it even enough to unload it. It was so chaotic. Everything was going wrong. Everything was behind schedule. But I remember um, I told Emma at one point, I was like, I'm in a good mood, which is weird for me, okay, because first off, it's the morning, and I'm never in a good mood in, in the morning, ever, and second off, like our setup team can, can attest to the fact that I've let a lot less fluster me before in the past during our setup, but for some reason, like, my spirit was calm, I felt good, I was in a good place, the Lord was providing, and we had a good service. And later on that day, I was, uh, I was talking to my mom about how chaotic that entire morning had been, and she was like, oh, that's exactly what I prayed wouldn't happen. What's up with that, Lord? <laughs> I was like, you know, Mom, like, you know, maybe because you praying was the reason why I didn't get so flustered the way I normally do. And she was like, oh, well, thank you, Lord. <laughs> right? 
But you know, I aspire to have a prayer life more like my mom's. Because if, if I'm honest, I struggle with praying for the little stuff. I've always been like a, a big picture kind of guy. And I kind of have to be you know, in, my, in my line of work. But too many times whenever I pray to God, I'm only requesting the big picture down the road type of stuff. Because if I'm honest, I feel like I don't need to bother God with any requests that aren't what I would deem to be important. But that's not how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, give us today our daily bread. He also said at the end of the chapter, in verse 34, it says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Amen. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus is letting us know what's more fruitful than always just looking down the road and praying for the big, important things is instead to ask for daily dependence. You see, whenever we pray for our daily bread, we're acknowledging that there isn't a single thing in our lives that we are not dependent on God for. And you see, the problem with the tendency that I have to pray is I feel like God can handle all the big stuff and I'll handle all the little stuff on my own. It's like I can trust God ultimately, but I don't really trust him immediately. And because of that, I'll lose appreciation of all the countless ways that he blesses me because I'm not looking for his provisions in the everyday things. I'm just looking for him to answer the big things, the down-the-road things that I might not even see for years to come. And if that's the only thing I'm ever praying for and ever asking for, if he doesn't answer those big things the way I expect him to because he sees what I can't see, well, then my whole relationship with him is going to be off. I'll probably just be frustrated with God more than anything else because I'm not looking for him consistently. I just want him to answer the things that I feel like are important. See, the biggest difference between me and my mom's perspectives was that her first response, whether finding the parking spot or finding the keys, was to say, thank you, Lord. My first response would have been, no, give me credit for finding the keys. But the power of daily dependence is that it leads us to a place of constant gratitude. And whenever we lose gratitude, we lose our spiritual perspective and we lose our spiritual influence as Christians. One professor of theology once said, only one kind of person transforms the word spiritually. And that is someone with a grateful heart. And this is a point that my generation, the millennial generation, we really need to hear specifically because our generation loves to think big. Tyler Stanton, in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, he points out that millennials are the most globally-minded, socially conscious, justice-oriented, and cause-driven generation in history. However, we also suffer from the most mental illness, clinical depression, and chronic unhappiness than any generation in history. He says that those are symptoms of good desire that are out of order. It's like we put so much pressure on ourselves to change the world but we forget that we're not the ones who actually can. I remember after, uh, after Passion 2013, they had the big push for the End It movement that was uh, bringing awareness to the human trafficking epidemic that's going on in our world. And after the conference, I was on fire about it. I was passionate about it. I was pumped up. And I remember my dad saying, hey, that's good you're passionate about this. Don't lose that. He said, however, never get so wrapped up in a cause that you forget the only one who actually has a solution. And I know a lot of factors probably factor into all this, but I can't help but think that one of the main reasons why our generation struggles so much is because we're so focused on the big picture that we overlook all the little things. 
And because of that, we're probably also the least grateful generation in history. The the author also points out that gratitude is the God-given reward for those who can stomach praying for the small things. Even a Harvard study in psychology research found that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude, the study says, helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improves their health, helps them deal with adversity, and builds strong relationships. And that type of gratitude is what we need in our lives is going to come from our daily bread prayers. So what does that look like? It looks like praying through your to-do list in the morning. Now, for whenever you wake up, before you go off to work, maybe when you're in the car on the way to work, pray over everything you have on your schedule for that day. You have a meeting coming up, pray over that meeting. Pray that God would give you a fruitful and productive discussion. You have a project you're working on, pray for God to give you strength and wisdom to complete it well and to the best of your ability. Do you have people that you oversee? Pray that God would give you the ability to be a good leader that day. Do you have someone that you work for? Pray that God would give you the ability to be a good follower that day. Do you have an off day? Pray that God would give you good rest and vision for the upcoming workdays. Are you going through heartache and pain? Pray that God would give you the fortitude just to get through today. You see, what we may see as menial and mundane, God sees as a powerful opportunity to allow you to recognize his presence more in your life and show you how much he cares. Because it's not like he needs us to tell him what we need. He even said right before he gave the disciples the Lord's Prayer, he said, for your father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. So whenever we pray our daily bread prayers, it's not to inform him on what we have going on or what we need. He already knows. But he still wants us to invite him into everything, because God will not force himself on you. He never has. He never will. He wants us to ask him, not for his benefit, but for ours, so we can be reminded how close he is and how much he cares. It's so our hearts and our spirits and our minds can get the dose of the spiritual medicine of gratitude that we need to live healthy and impactful lives. You know, it's interesting that David, he prays in Psalm 30, whenever he asks of God, first, help me to never tell a lie. He says, second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. See, David directly linked his everyday needs to his relationship with God. Because he deeply understood that getting everything he could ever want in this world or in this life would still never compare to his need for God in his life. That term daily bread that Jesus used literally means the bread of our necessity or the substance that suffices for each day. So praying these daily bread prayers that allows us to put ourselves in the position of never trying to depend on ourselves for anything because we depend on him for everything because he is what we need above all else. So Jesus teaches us to pray for daily dependence. He also teaches us to pray for daily deliverance. First, he teaches us to pray for for God to deliver us from pride and from bitterness whenever he taught us to pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
You know, one of the main reasons why we have such a trouble with the idea of forgiveness in our life, practicing it and accepting it, is because we struggle deeply with pride as human beings. We struggle with the idea of God forgiving us because, first off, we think way too highly of ourselves. On one hand, we may think that we have no need of forgiveness. We refuse to admit that we're wrong about anything or anyone's ever going to tell us how to live. And on the other hand, we may think that our sin is too great and that God would never forgive us even if we did ask. But if we ever think that there's something that we have done or some sort of sin that we have committed, any sort of past that we have, that God cannot or could not forgive, I'm telling you, that's nothing but prideful thinking. Because that's us thinking there's something that we could do or say that is greater or more powerful than what God has said and what he's already done. What kind of audacity does it take to buy into thinking that our sin can outweigh the blood of Jesus? No, the blood of Jesus can, will, and does cover any sin or any iniquity that any person could ever commit. If Jesus can take Paul, a murderous religious zealot, forgive him and turn him into the greatest missionary the world has ever seen outside of the person of Jesus, can he not forgive your sin as well? <laughs> Yet Jesus still tells us to ask for his forgiveness. Because praying for God to forgive, us, to forgive us leads us to a place of acknowledging that his grace and his mercy is so much greater and so much more powerful than anything we could ever do or anything we've ever done, which will also lead us again to another state of gratitude. But don't miss that Jesus tells us to ask for God's forgiveness as we forgive others. Why? Because forgiven people forgive people. Pastor Skip Isaac once said, the proof that we are forgiven is that we're forgiving. You see, our vertical relationship with God will always have a direct impact on our horizontal relationship with others. And if our horizontal relationship with others isn't right, that's probably an indicator that our vertical relationship with God isn't right. You cannot experience a life free in the forgiveness of God if you are not forgiving to other people. There was one day wherever Paul, he went up to Jesus and he was trying to be all super spiritual and be a star student and said, Jesus, how, how often should we forgive someone? Up to seven times? He was all proud of his answer. But Jesus said, no, that's not enough. He said, rather, 70 times, seven times. Now, Jesus wasn't putting an exact number on it. Yeah, he wasn't saying, you can forgive up to 490 times, but if that person gets to 491, pff, all bets are off. <laughs> that wasn't what he was saying. Because the, the number seven was symbolic. It was the number of completion. He was also referencing the year of Jubilee, which every 490 years, the people of Israel would have to release all of the slaves and all the servants of their service. And all debts would have to be completely forgiven, no matter how much was owed, which all of this was pointing to the complete forgiveness of God. But then Jesus, he tells a story about a man who owed a king bags and bags of gold, millions and millions of dollars. He was in debt personally to the king. But after begging for his life, the king exonerated him of all of his debts. However, that guy went out and immediately found someone who owed him money, which was a lot less, and had that guy thrown in prison until his debt could be paid. And whenever the king heard about it, he brought him in and he said in Matthew chapter 18, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have shown the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? 
Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus very bluntly says, That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. See, God is in the forgiveness business. And he takes his business very, very seriously. And way too many Christians claim the forgiveness of Jesus over their lives, but they refuse to give that same forgiveness to others. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgave you. And notice at the end of the parable, Jesus said to forgive from your heart. And I think that's very powerful and very significant because sometimes it's not always just pride that's keeping us from forgiveness. Sometimes it's bitterness. And there's some of us in this room or there's some of us here that know someone that has very good reason to have some bitterness in their lives. Some have gone through some hurt and betrayal from other human beings that I wouldn't even begin to wrap my head around. Like we said in our step-by-step series, forgiveness is the act of releasing bitterness from the heart. And there will be times where someone has been hurt, abused, or betrayed in such a way that that person should never have any contact with the person that hurt them ever again. That's just healthy, and that's just practical. However, we can still forgive from a distance. We can release that bitterness from the heart. On a lesser scale, if I'm going to be brutally honest and transparent with you, I got two and a half people in my life right now that I really struggle with holding bitterness against. Half, because like, it's like half the time. But. <laughs> but I do. I struggle with it. And I know if I were to confront them, they wouldn't do any good. It would just escalate it. Sometimes confronting, you need, you need to do that. In these cases, I just know that's just not going to be helpful at all. So I have a choice. I can sit and sulk, I can feel sorry for myself and allow that bitterness to consume me and hinder my prayer life. Or, as I seek God's forgiveness in my life, I can ask him to take that bitterness from me today and help me forgive them from my heart. And it's a daily practice. Because I know that tomorrow I could feel myself stewing over all these situations again and I need to pray and hand that bitterness over again until hopefully down the road it's not even on my mind you got to keep consistently give it over to God because it's so funny how so there's so many times that we can go before God, we can lay our burden at his feet, and we can leave it there and feel great about it, and then the next day it's like we go before God and be like, you know what, Lord, I'm going to take that burden back today. I got someone I want to complain about this too, so I'm going to bring this conversation back up. It's so easy where we feel like one day we lay it all at his feet, we're free in his forgiveness, that bitterness is released, and the next day it's like we just take it back up on ourselves again. And that only ever happens whenever we look past the forgiveness that God has granted to us and our daily need for it. Pastor Jeremy, he gives an example. He says, I can't be choking somebody out Take a break from it, give God a hug, accept his forgiveness, and then go back to choking them out. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. No, we let go of the grip of bitterness to embrace the forgiveness of God, and then we, we extend that same forgiveness to others that he has given to us. So whenever we pray for forgiveness... We're praying for deliverance from pride and from bitterness. And then the next portion of the prayer, we're praying for deliverance from temptation and spiritual attack. 
Jesus teaches us to pray. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us into temptation? That statement seems a bit strange. Why would we need to ask God to not lead us into temptation? Would he lead us to temptation if we didn't specifically ask him not to? Well, I don't think so because that, I don't think that could be the case because James says in James chapter 1, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. So temptation to sin never comes from God. It is never initiated by God. We can never use the excuse that God tempted me or God led me to temptation. No, whenever we sin, that is on us. And because we know that we still have this sin nature inside of us and the natural propensity to sin, we know that we will face temptation every single day. And so when Jesus says, lead us not, that gives us the connotation that we are already following him in the first place. So we're asking God, as we are following your guidance in everything we do in our everyday lives, allow us to be so consumed by you, Lord, so focused on you that we don't even give temptation the time of day. And if we do get distracted by temptation, lead us back to you quickly and show us the way out. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. If you ever start to feel that you deal with some sort of sin or some sort of temptation to sin that no one else would understand, the Bible's here to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. Anything that you've gone through, anything you struggle with, there are other people struggling with it too. The enemy wants to isolate you. The Lord wants you to feel free to bring that to the body so we can bear each other's burdens and go through it together and find healing. It says God is faithful. He will never allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Everyone say escape. escape. That you may be able to endure. The only way to endure temptation is to escape it. The only way to escape it is to run straight to the arms of your heavenly father. This is something that we will say multiple times a year. As long as we are a church family, you never fight temptation, you flee temptation. You try to fight it, you will get beat 9.9 times out of 10. But we flee it right to the arms of God. You can't walk yourself right into a temptful situation and then pray, Ah, oh, Lord, don't lead me to temptation and get mad at him whenever you fall. You know good and well which temptations you are the most susceptible to. So we pray to be more focused on the Lord and his purposes today than those things. You may be prone to anger. You can pray, God, lead me to focus on your patience and kindness instead today. You may be prone to lust. You can pray, God, lead me to think about whatever is pure and noble and right, like Philippians 4.8 says. You may be prone to put your needs above the needs of others. You can pray, God, lead me to a better understanding of your love and love others through me today. There are only two people in all of existence that know what temptations you struggle with the most better than you do. And that is God, and that is Satan. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Oh yes, the evil one is real. Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual attacks will happen. And it's interesting that Jesus says, deliver us rather than protect us. He doesn't say, keep us from the evil one or keep the evil one away. 
The translation is literally saying, rescue us from the evil one. Jesus' phrasing here shows us we do not ask to be removed from the battle, but rather we ask God to intervene within the battle. Because make no mistake, whenever you are a child of God, a conduit of the Holy Spirit of heaven, whenever you are living on mission for the kingdom of God, you will be in the enemy's line of sights. Now, I say enemy and not Satan specifically because I don't want to give Satan more credit than he deserves. He is not omnipresent. He cannot be in more than one place at one time. And I think he's got bigger fish to fry out there than Kenny Hall. Okay? And I've shared this before. Now, you know, there are still spiritual attacks we will experience from those under his command. It's like I've shared whenever, like, it's, it's almost comical, right? As soon as we started having weekly services here in this building, how me and Rachel would get hit with one financial attack after another. All these Fletcher's health insurance bills hit at one time. Car trouble here, car trouble there, car trouble there. Fridge goes out, HVAC goes out. Like, it doesn't stop. And it's almost comical, like, you will think we see what you're doing? <laughs> almost everyone in our launch team has experienced some sort of spiritual warfare ever since we started here. Health problems, financial problems, family problems. There's a reason for that. There's something out there that doesn't like what's happening here. You know? There's something out there. That even the other week, you know, like it was two weeks ago, I think it was, um, Saturday night. Rachel and I were, like, we're trying to get some rest for, for Sunday morning. You know, it's a long day. And I couldn't get a wink of sleep no matter how hard I tried. Anytime I start to doze off, I just get these weird, dark thoughts that are just messing with me. So it was like so unnatural. Little did I know, I found out the next morning that anytime Rachel would doze off, she would have these really dark, demonic dreams. Something didn't want either the message communicated clearly the next Sunday or didn't want something to happen here. Something was mad. <laughs> but all that does is just confirm that we're doing exactly what the Lord wants us Amen. to be doing. <laughs> all it does is authenticate the direction we felt like the Lord has been taking us in this entire time. And even though we may experience attacks from the evil one, we are delivered from their influence, their tactics, and their lies. Because that's all Satan is, a liar, right? The Bible calls him the father of lies. You know, the only power a liar has is getting someone to believe a lie. That's why the truth sets you free. So the enemy wants you to buy into the lie that they have power, strength, and influence over your life. But Jesus concludes this prayer template with the most freeing truth you could ever declare over your life when he says, deliver us from evil because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The kingdom doesn't belong to Satan. The power doesn't belong to Satan. The glory doesn't belong to Satan. No, he's already been defeated. He is nothing but Jesus' footstool. He's nothing but a liar and a fraud and a loser trying to give the illusion of winning. And yeah, he may be stronger than us. He may be more powerful than we are. He may be smarter than we are and more cunning than we are. I and mean, that's why we stand in the power and the glory that is the kingdom of God. Because we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. Amen. Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That means if we are standing in the love, acceptance, and presence of God, not only can we not lose, but any petty attacks from the enemy is only going to make us stronger in our faith and more dangerous to the enemy's agenda. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Jesus isn't teaching us to pray for a shield of protection. No, he's teaching us to pray a battle cry. Man, Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, he said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And for so long, so many Christians, including myself, we would read that verse and we'd read it and be like, get all pumped up and say, yeah, God's going to build his church. No matter how the enemy invades or attacks, we're built on the solid rock of our foundation and there is nothing the enemy can do to tear us down or defeat us. Yeah, yeah. Now, I remember reading that verse one day and it's like the Holy Spirit is kind of backhanded me across the face. <laughs> said, wait a minute. Gates are built for defense. Jesus is saying the gates of hell won't prevail against us. That means we're supposed to be on the attack. That means we're supposed to be the ones on offense, not defense. But for some reason, we've bought into this strategy of just building up our walls, huddling together in a safe place on Sunday mornings, praying for God to deliver us from the evil of the outside world. We put up our own gates on our own walls and we call it church. But Jesus says his church isn't one that defends their ground. No, his church takes ground. <laughs> I was asked not long ago, like, why, why do we need so many church plants in Hickory? We've got so many church plants already. Why is Hope Hickory here? Why is Equip here? Why is Christ the King down the road? Why is Harvest City over there in Carolina? Like, why do we need all of these church plants here? And I don't know if I can 100% confidently answer that question. But the only reason I have and the only one that I need is that there must be more ground to take in Catawba County. There must be ground to take in these apartment complexes and neighborhoods right around this building. There's ground still to take at Conover School. There's ground to take at Lenore Ryan University. There's ground he wants to take at Longview Elementary in the surrounding areas. There's ground he wants to take at Art Middle School. There's ground that he wants to take in this community, in this city, in this county, and by the grace of God, we just might be able to be a part of it. That's why we're here. That's why the church exists. Ever since Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, the local church has been his plan A for advancing the kingdom of God and his will on earth as it is in heaven. And if there is even a chance that there are some souls out there that can be claimed for the kingdom of God because he chose to let us be here, man, it'll all be worth it. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, holy, 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 perfect Father. Thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing. I pray that your will would be done. Your kingdom would come in Hope Hickory and Equip Church in Catawba County as it is in heaven. So, Father, we give all of our daily needs to you. I pray you would spark something in us that when we wake up in the morning, we wouldn't even take, let our feet hit the ground without asking for your provision. I pray that we would be so filled with gratitude for all that you are and all that you've done for us on a constant, consistent basis that our faith would become infectious to those around us. Father, let us be so consumed by you and your goodness and your love and your glory and your majesty that we don't even give temptation the time of day. Let our minds be transformed by focus on you and renew us. Thank you. Your mercies are new every single morning. Father, I, I thank you that right now, guilt is being broke off in this moment. Father, I feel there's, there's some, some in this room that have been carrying a guilt and a shame 
for too long. But we declare there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We get to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. We get to hide ourselves in you so now that when you look at us, no matter what we've done, when we claim for you and ask for your forgiveness, you don't see our sins and our faults and our failures and mistakes and our past reputations or anything. All you see is the perfection of your son. And we are accepted in your sight and have favor in your sight. Thank you for your forgiveness. And Father, I pray that we would extend that same forgiveness to others. Thank you that yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand together and worship. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.